Do you all have art hanging up in your offices? That's it. Mm. That's a question. Mm. All right. So what you I got? think this will take us about 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay. We'll give it yeah. a go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 326 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and my left earbud doesn't work. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. Yeah, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is August 26th, 2021. Dunk on everyone. And before we get started, we have a warning there's going to be profanity in this show. So, you know, you... That's going to be good. It's going to be real yeah, good for vanity. So buckle your yeah. pants. Uh, also, we'd like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. We got an anonymous donation, which is very brave. Or is it, <laughs> you know, very, or is it intimidating? I want to know what line of work are you in that you have to anonymously donate to this podcast? Is it a threat? Me? Maybe it's a threat of some sort. Ooh, yeah. What's the message? Is there a message attached? There's no message. That's Just a completely silent, anonymous Someone was like, I don't I don't want to be an associate Can't be traced with back this publicly. <laughs> it's anonymous. We are approaching October. It's appropriately spooky, you know. It might yeah. have been a skeleton. Ooh. You don't who knows who it was. Maybe it was a, yeah, uh, a ghost with its last sort of little burst of whatever it's ghost goo. Ectoplasm electricity thing that all the various movies they have, you know, like because they can yeah. get into electronics. Because ghost's whole thing is they're like good with electronics, which is funny because of how most they ghosts are, are yeah, because they're, they're, they're always like they can interact with like like they they can make sounds appear in a in a recording or whatever, right? But it's just because like they interact with electronics. Yeah, and it's like Jerry, you had a problem operating your touchscreen iPhone. Yeah. I don't believe. You I mean, most ghosts interface. Let's face it, most ghosts those are from people who are not familiar with electronic technology. Yeah, you know, it's usually so. older. Yeah. yeah, and they always have frilly clothes on. Is that they're always Victorian? They probably yeah. don't know shit about VCRs. I feel like that was more of a, a ghost a ghost fashion trend in the nineties was more of the like the sort of fluffy like Victorian era clothing. I'm not sure now will there be still a trend in ghost fashion. So f- yeah. fifty years from now, will will ghost fashion be like skinny jeans and V necks? So. Yeah. I would imagine it would be. It better be. Otherwise I mean otherwise all the hipster ghosts yeah. all the hipster yeah. ghosts are gonna be coming out They'll be yeah, fifty it'll, years. Yeah, it'll be as you're making your avocado toasts fifty years from now. Your your avocado will like roll off the table. Yeah. yeah. And then you'll look up and there'll be a V-neck ghost in skinny mm-hmm. jeans. Yep. <laughs> so I, licking their licking their lips, being like, we got any you know, there's got any guac. There's an interesting real estate question when it comes to when it comes to, you know, more of the millennial aged ghosts though, right? Which is like, what if the boomer ghosts are still sort of like, you know, Absorbing a lot of like the real estate side. Of oh things. right, is there a ghost economy going yeah. on? Yeah. So like, are the millennials not like? Are we going to sort of be hearing just millennials complain, but outside the house actually? Because no, they can't no, no. I mean, in? or is it millennials are just going to be the next boomers, right? I, I mean, eventually, yeah. There's a lot of millennials, and and it's not going to. I mean, it's already starting, but it's not going to be too long before you know what's the next generation? Gen- there's like Z Gen. Z, the Zoomer, Zoomers? Mm-hmm. Or is that Z? Are they the same? I think Are they the, the same? same? I think it's the same. E- it's either the same. way, like, it, they're already kind of mad at the millennials. You know, it's, you know, the, 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 it always goes both directions. Yep. Right? Like, yep. The, the older generation's like, ah, these, these, 
fucking kids like they don't know anything and they can't do anything and they don't know how to change the oil in a car or whatever the value system is for your you know your generation <laughs> that you're mad about uh and then if you're you know if you're in the younger generation you're looking at the older generation you're like why aren't they keeping up with the times they don't know anything about my life blah 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 and you know it just goes forever so i assume what, it but must once be we're there. all ghosts yeah. it all evens out you know I mean, it's like we're all we're all dead. I feel like that's a big <laughs> assumption, though, because I feel like there's going to be continued generational ghost warfare. You know what I mean? That just has to be. There's going to be stuff. There's going to be a lot of that stuff. You know. You know, anytime you see a fantasy series about like immortal people, this kind of stuff never really comes up. They always have like a monolithic sort of culture, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's like if you are like a thousand years old, you're an elf, a new baby elf new generation of baby elves comes along. And this is now like the, what, like the 50th generation of elves mm-hmm. that you've seen at this point, assuming they, you know, have kids in their 20s. I don't know. I don't know elf, you know, biology. Yeah, you, I mean, like usually in all these fantasy settings, though, like everything slows down, you know, so like they're, they have, they, like they have kids, but the kids are kids for like a hundred years, you know. Yeah, that's... So that they just try to scale everything so that it comes but out. But even the then, like, like if you've been chilling for like five hundred years, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's this new generation of of kids, kid elves or whatever. You're gonna be kind of set in your ways. I feel at this point, and you're not gonna be super receptive, mm-hmm. you know, to the to what's going on with the younger generation. That's assuming that, that elves or these immortals have like the same degree of kind of you know neuroplasticity that we do where they don't get quite as like, you know what I mean? Where they, over time, maybe, maybe, maybe over time they actually retain that sort of yeah. childlike, maybe they're just teenagers forever, which would make them very annoying, frankly, to everyone <laughs> all the time. <laughs> but that's, the, I mean, fun. I think like there's so many of these really weird, almost like hand wavy things that sometimes happen in fantasy with like, and they're immortal. Like they're, these elves are immortal, right? And the implications of that just never seem to sort of manifest anywhere in the story or in the culture, other than the fact that they've been around a long time and have seen a lot of stuff. Well, hey, right? but like Marvel's Eternals is coming out soon, and that one has- uh, They're probably also not going to address that question. But we talked about how Marvel does a good job. So this will be a fun one to kind of like- you know, watch well, they, no, they that. do a good job, not of it. They, they do, do a good, good job, job of, of not answering questions. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. yeah. 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 But you know, I feel like, I feel like you'd get kind of bored after a thousand years. Yeah. You know, what if, what if the culture of elves was that they were just super bored and did not give a shit about like anything at all that was going on in the world? You mean they become nice? They probably just basically. have like really interesting hobbies and stuff, you know, because the thing that you take away when you basically just live forever is the mad rush to like – To do anything. Do, to do as much as possible and like and, – and of course it also depends on the kind of society you've got because you've got a capitalist society where you're in a mad rush to have enough money that by the time you retire, you can stay alive for another 30 years and live off of that, right? Yeah, because yeah, if you take like, that you don't piece need to out, retire. Yeah, you, you don't need to retire because you live forever, right? So like, everything is different. You can't have things like uh, you can't have things like a banking system that does uh, uh, compound interest. Compound interest, <laughs> right? True. You can't have a mo- immortality and compound interest. It, it already doesn't make sense that we have that, but if you now do that in the context of an immortal being, sense. yeah, it doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? Your and society so, would become stratified. I mean, it already does become stratified, but we die quick enough that we can't do anything about it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in our society. Yeah. 
Because like, in our society, wealth becomes stratified, but generationally in, in families, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's new, it's new people inheriting the wealth over and over again from, from previous – from their ancestors, right? But – so it's, it's more – it feels more diffuse. It's still not great. But if it was the same person – yeah, just for like a thousand years, just continuously getting exponentially more wealthy mm-hmm. than everybody else. Well, imagine the, you'd be like, yeah, okay, I mean, how about it's enough of that? How about yeah. that, Steve? Well, yeah, because you, like- you just like put a dollar in <laughs> on year zero, right? And then a baby born five thousand years later, like say that's the only dollar you ever put into your savings account, right? Yeah, and then a baby like a born five thousand years later, yeah, you know? and yeah. Now, now they have to catch up, you know, to that, like, yeah. Which is, I guess, this is a good this is a good uh, demonstration of the thought exercise of like if you take if you take a thing to its logical conclusion because there's a difference between slippery slopes and, and logical conclusions, right? Uh, and slippery slopes like that goes into absurdism, but the logical conclusion is you say, well, like this is literally the same thing. This is what right? would it's just yeah, yeah. It's just instead of a person doing that, you just say this is like a family, right? But it's still the same. Yeah. And uh, so like, yeah, what's the value system then of like a culture that lives forever, right? Because also uh, you would see the consequences of your actions, you know, Ooh, that's for, a, for a yeah. really long time. Yeah. Right. But only eventually, right? Which means like the the older people, you know, people like 500 years old, 1,000 years old would be really annoyed probably at all of the younger people who are making mistakes that they've seen. They've made and they've seen people mm. making like – Thousands of times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It would be, but that's like you just take a simple premise. Like, yeah, they just live for. They don't die. They live forever, right? It's like okay, but that by itself is enough of a wild thing that it changes literally everything because mm-hmm. everything in our culture and society does sort of come down to the fact that we're not here that long, and there's certain things we have to do, you yep. know, about that fact, right? So. Uh, anyway, I don't know how we got there, but let's 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 go to some questions. Yeah. So, you know, on this podcast, sometimes we talk about what's going on in the world. We don't really want to do that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, sometimes we talk about what's going on in the studio, and there's a lot going on in the studio, but it's kind of complicated and doesn't make for good radio right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah, and and even if it did, it's probably under NDA, and so you know, here we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we talk about what's going on in the games industry. Well, you know. We're not going to go there. Also, right now. also not great. <laughs> yeah. So we're just vibing over here. We're just going to answer some questions from yeah. uh, from our listeners. We could probably okay. get out a, a quick PSA before we get into that, which is basically don't harass people. It's weird. Yeah, you know, wash, just maybe wash your hands. Mm-hmm. Maybe get don't. vaccinated. Don't harass people. Yeah. Could we just not just do a little that. PSA? Well, yep. don't, don't you know? Don't yeah. can you don't? Yeah. yeah. All right. PSA over. Mm-hmm. Let's go to questions. <laughs> These questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. If you want to get your question onto an episode, you can just go there and ask it and you can vote for questions and stuff like that. Uh, so I don't know. We may be leaning more heavily into questions in the coming, you know, episodes on, on account of things you know, stuff. So uh, so let's get into it. Highest upvoted question comes from Beaky Bapa Boop, the classic. Mm-hmm. Beaky Bapa Boop, who says, Do you all have art hanging up in your offices? That's mm-hmm. it. That's a question. Mm-hmm. Good one. All right. So what you I got? think this will take us about 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Okay. We'll give it a yeah. go. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll hit it first. Um, yeah. No. 
and actually, we don't have art in our whole house, actually, and and, and rarely have in our like my wife's my wife's and my lives together. That was a hard thing to put into a grammatical sense. Your wife sure succeeded. My wife and your and my lives lives <laughs> together, which is uh-huh. like, anyway. Don't worry about it. Uh, so it's a combo of problems. Number one, I do not parse visual information very well. So, which is some combination of my ADHD, my inability to to see pictures in my brain. Who knows what else? But I I just can't. So there's a lot of stuff going on. I I my, my eyes literally slide off of it and it creates sort of a low-level anxiety and inability to handle things because it, I'm getting, too much I'm getting visual stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so so I like to have things be real fucking Spartan. I want mm. as little stuff as possible. I want I don't want I don't want debris, you know. I, I need things to be to be just nice and but just nothing going on. Um, yep. Clean. So, so because of so you take so you take that element and then compound it with the fact, I guess, actually, it's just still the fact that I can't see things in my brain. If I'm trying to pick something out to go somewhere, you can't be like, I "Would this look good in that I room?" I don't know <laughs> if it's going to look good because I can't. If yeah, I look at the picture now, I can't think about what it would look like on the wall. If I look at the wall now, I can't think about what the picture is that would be there, right? And then, and so because of those things, I not only don't really care because I can't, but I also kind of don't want art because of the whole needing less visual clutter thing. So the net effect then is that uh, if if I had an external push that required me to put things up on the wall for some reason, it would have to be a very aggressive, very intense push, and I would probably just need to hire somebody to do it instead because mm-hmm. I just literally can't. But so even then, it would be a neutral experience for you because now you've got extra visual noise, kind of. In yeah. the, it would be a, it would be a net negative actually to have, to have something go up. Yeah. Unless unless I mean unless I was able to choose a thing that was somehow because because there are kinds of things that like when you look at you can get a nice soothing experience out of you know that like mm-hmm. add something without yeah, it doesn't have to be so busy. being visually complicated. Um, so yeah, so it's it's like a doable thing, but like the. I don't get really a gain, and so then the parameters going into it to get that thing, so that it ends up being neutral at worst. It's like, why? Why would I spend my time doing that? I got, <laughs> yes, yeah. I got stuff I want to do, you know. So that's my scenario. Mm. Seth, what are you? I am actually in a somewhat similar position. I I didn't realize this, you know, until I till I learned about ADHD. But I've never wanted to have stuff on the walls. Mm. I've I've always I've always wanted just so we we painted our house with different colors in each room with like really kind of bold vibrant it's colors bold. so like our so like our living room is like a like a deep blue mm-hmm. uh, it feels like you're in the ocean right and when I go in that room like that's my favorite room because it's just like the walls have a personality yeah. but there's nothing on them there's just it's totally blank walls right uh, and that's that's it like and I've I've never wanted to put art on them and I. That's it. And I, I do have a, a couple of mirrors in there. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, I've hung up several mirrors in the house where people would normally put paintings because they add light to the space. Mm-hmm. You can you can check yourself out on the way past and be like, dang, yes. nice. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they makes the space feel bigger. And they also kind of disappear. They're 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 not a thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um so that's it. Yeah. And then like I have the I think the only thing I've got hanging uh in my office is the 12 prints the studio principles or is it 13? We we didn't number them, so I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
but it's our studio principles and then some sound dampening panels. But mm. even those are just completely neutral, flat colors, you know? So, yep. uh, yeah, I don't know. So, something about just I don't want clutter. I don't want to have lots of things pulling my eye. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even I have my desktop background of my computer as just completely black. Yeah, mine is just a nice purple color. Yeah, well, yeah, I actually, I know I had it black for a while, but then there were times where I couldn't tell whether my like monitor was off. Yeah, because your desktop is also clean and like yeah, yeah, there's hard. nothing on it. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, you got to get like a little bit of color, but yeah, I I really like having just nothing around. Yeah. But so. it's interesting actually cuz all of us have have colorful wall paint because because our house is we have because we have we have black trim and then colorful walls and the, and the colors change by room so then we got this so it's like this nice uh it's like it's called sea green or something but it's just kind of like cute green like light green color that's in like our kitchen and my office and uh and then our bedroom is like a deep, like a deep red Mm-hmm. And then my wife's office is like a pinkish kind of a color, but like yeah, a, we have, we have brown far side, more you know? saturation in uh, in house paint than the average yeah. person. I would I would say, yeah. But it's so cool, right? Like it's I don't know the idea that that you that when you're selling your house that it becomes more attractive to a buyer when everything is like an extremely bland white color, right? Like I get it because the colors are personal. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. chose them. Uh, where, where I, like my office is just yellow. Like the walls are like bright yellow, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, it's that, that's something, that's a statement. That's an mm-hmm. opinion, right? That's very and, cool. Like, not everybody want, not everybody would want this room to be yellow, right? I think also if you, if you are the sort of person who wants to put stuff on the walls though, you actually will probably go for a more neutral wall just so you can, because that way it's easier to match stuff on the wall, right? Versus if you don't yeah. want to put stuff on the walls, it actually is much easier than to choose more bombastic colors because you're not worried about like it matching up with posters. That's or true. Or, you know what I mean? But it, it is true. kind of interesting now that right, that the, the dominant strategy is to have a boring wall that you make interesting by putting stuff on it. Yes. Right. Versus having an interesting wall, which when and it is funny, right? Cause like it's, the thing that makes it interesting is it's deviation from the norm. Because it's not that interesting to have a thing be a color, right? That's pretty mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. St- yeah. Uh, you can have stuff be colors. And you have like, chosen a color by choosing white, you know. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. But it, but it is uh, – but it, it does like it, – because it, it carries such an intense – like there's a vibe, you know. That yeah, goes, there's a psychological that, effect to it. Yeah. Yeah. Colors and then depending on the colors that you yeah. choose and like the shadowing and like the contrast. So in our case, because like our doors are black and our trim is black and all that, like the contrast between those things is all like really fun and interesting. And, uh, and so even though you still have just like these big swaths of wall that where there's nothing going on on it. Right. But it's like, it's the thing that's going on is that color, but it's like very intentionally yeah. bringing in. And then now you don't have to, you don't have to. Well, and we, and we did stuff like, like, like we have, so our, our kitchen is teal, mm-hmm. okay, uh, and the hallway that leads away from the kitchen that goes, you know, down to the office is fuchsia. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, and the the living room is blue. Uh, and then we we there's one place you can stand in the house where you can you be in the kitchen, you can see down the hallway, and you can also see the living room, right? And it creates this interesting like like green to pink to blue kind of like transition thing. 
and there's like one little like wall space that is creates a visual barrier between those things. And so when so like and you only really see that when you're standing in that spot. So we painted that a different color to create a divider, mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of like we just like have different places you stand in the house and you get different like splashes of combinations and it, of colors. Yeah. And this is true of Seth's house in particular. That is like because because you have a lot yes. of angles yep. of like walls coming out and the, like the root like so all that stuff. That because yeah. each thing is literally a, a different color now, and like you said, you can stand in one place and see into all these rooms with these really, I mean, very different colors and very and they're and they're not colors where you're like, oh, I want this. I'm not going to go all the way in. I'm going to tiptoe. I'm going to tiptoe in the future. No, oh no, 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 no. These are some, these, these are some fucking colors. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> so, actually, so you're basically like your whole the inside of your house is basically a, a geometric it's uh, an art piece. color. Artist, right. <laughs> yeah. It's like all about geometry and and, and like bold. It's a big swaths of color. Yeah. Yeah. But then like when we moved here, I was just – I was just – I was so mad. Mm -hmm. Not – I was so mad because especially like, – we went into the basement and the carpet is white. There's white trim right above the carpet. The walls were white. The ceiling is white. Mm -hmm. So it's like you've – You've got all these opportunities to make really cool and interesting sort of – like Adam was talking about having a black trim and then putting a color next to it, which is like how do we bring out the contrast here and make kind of a cool visual mm -hmm. effect, mm -hmm. right? And so like it's still the case like even though we, we paint – so we painted the basement a deep purple, okay? And then it's like – and now suddenly the, the, the trim along the bottom you know, stays white and that really like pops out from the yep. purple and yep. the ceiling does too – but the carpet is still this like dumb, just white blob with the the white trim kind of like smearing into it visually. Mm -hmm. It's like I, w I want like a dark, deep, dark carpet, you know. But we have, you know we haven't done anything about that mm -hmm. fact. Uh, so so that you get like a dark base and then like a, a a flashy strip of white trim, you know, and then like a deep purple on top, right? Because it's all like it's all just about making interesting visuals. It's just fun. Uh, Stuff. Yeah, but yeah. I think largely what you guys are talking about when you talk about art on the walls is is mainly the problem of noise, basically, versus yep. it's not that you don't and, want to have and having to make decisions. It's it's yeah, yeah the, the challenge of, of making those decisions, but it's not that you don't want to have um, an effect from say color or from art, quote unquote, because uh, in the same way that this interior design stuff is is itself an art form. Um, yeah. It's just that you don't want this or the busyness. Because like in our house, so the thing is that one is I think. I think in zones when it comes to clutter and stuff like that, I think partially it's because because of because my wife is a visual artist as well, so she's always just like making stuff. So like my desk usually has three beverages on it and a notepad, and that's it, right? Three full beverages or your empty bugs. From also, just depends on time of day. Uh, mm -hmm. Could be three empty glasses of stuff. Could be you know whatever arrangement, but there's always like three of them. So. There's that. And then on my office walls themselves, I used to have, because we just got moved in, so I still don't have any on the walls here. But the plan is basically to put up very cool looking sound panels um, to, again, kind of, because they essentially disappear in a way. They're more of like a, it's more of like a wall piece, uh, a change to the wall. Uh, and then to either include butterscotch related stuff. So we have like our, we have some box art that we've gotten framed for, uh, for the games over time and stuff like that. So kind of turn it into that sort of a space in my, yeah my office in particular. And then usually I'll get like a loud zany rug, like I had a zebra rug um, and not like the pattern, but literally it was like, it looked like if you asked a kid to draw a zebra is the way I put it. <laughs> and then like cut it out and turn it into a rug. Um, mm -hmm. It was sort of this weird looking zebra rug thing that I had in my uh, office previously. 
So I love that sort of kind of weird, fun stuff, um, but I don't actually have very much of it. And then when it comes to like being able to pay attention or not, it's for me, it's very much a zone thing. So actually, when we're, as we're getting moved in here, you know, I've just asked my wife, I'm like, hey, can we just like, just keep all like the kitchen island needs to be clear of stuff that doesn't matter. Like don't just like drop stuff on it. And then if you want to just like put something somewhere, there's basically a sort of a quarter of this other uh, piece of the kitchen, like kitchen counter. And I'm like, just shit that, that is going in like a pile, just like put it there. Yeah. Designate the, the shit pile. pile. <laughs> yes, the shit pile. But like beyond that, like I can't, because I need to know, I basically have zones where I'm paying attention to, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Because I'm not going to pay attention to every single individual object because I just don't have the bandwidth for it. And so it's like, I need to know what spaces I pay attention in. You'd be like, uh, I need some shit. Let me check the shit pile. It's not in there. Well, it must not. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't exist. 100%. Yeah. Well, and that's true. <laughs> that, is like, that is the general way that ADHD works, right? Is Because it's not just about trying to trying to avoid clutter because people with ADHD tend to make a lot of it actually. Right. And, and mm-hmm. part of it is because we need stuff to be visible in order for it, uh, it to be a thing we know about. And so you can't have everything be visible and not have it be a little bit of a wild yeah. experience. Right. Yeah, your um, ideal, right. Is that you have very few things, but all of them are visible all the time. Yeah, so you know, mm-hmm. so right. you just know, yeah. but yeah, but it's because, so, cause our, cause like, or at least my eyes anyway, this is pretty, common for ADHD, just slide off of noisy things. Like it just, I don't, my brain's like, I don't want to deal with this. And it just, well, it just doesn't. So I just like my eyes slide off of it. And so if a mess gets created, when I first see it, it gives me anxiety. But then literally within like hours, like seeing it a few times again, my brain just doesn't even know it's there anymore because it decided not to look at it, right? Yeah, well, because it's a dead zone, which is why, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so this idea of like, we have to exactly. declare these on purpose because otherwise, yeah. like, if you if it's just like a pile of stuff, you know, here, there, everywhere, then like I, yeah, I'm not going to know what's in the piles anymore, basically, because they're they're not zoned appropriately and I can't like suss it out. So the thing is with like, I mean, Diana loves hanging stuff on walls, like loves putting stuff up, and so we typically will pick like a few spaces that are just kind of loaded. So in our previous house, the, the living room was had a bunch of stuff on it and the like upstairs uh, TV room. Basically, the spaces where usually you're just kind of hanging out. I'm not trying to like do anything. I'm just hanging out um, with people or whatever else. We'll decorate quite a bit. But then otherwise, most things are pretty Spartan as well. Like a mirror, you know, some plants. That's it. What I think is interesting about this this question is how it's like, you know, just do, do you have art hanging up, right? Which – which the 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 root of the question is really just like you know how how do you decorate us how do you decorate your space right and I think interestingly yeah we've all kind of landed in this this uh, state of not just thinking about like what to hang on the wall but of the wall itself mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and like about about the negative space yeah about sort of like thinking of the whole space as having an opinion and trying yes. to make that entire space convey something actually I have a I have a a dream of what to do with our kitchen, which is probably still like ten years off because apparently remodeling a kitchen costs a lot, as like much Jeff as Jeff Bezos it's level just, money. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand. It. So I'm kind of like, I mean, I could like start my own space program <laughs> or remodel the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like where my like the two. Yeah, we talked to somebody and they quoted us you know? for literally like a quarter of the whole value of our house. Yep. Yeah. 
It's a remote uh, and, it really and is so, uh, yeah, so some stuff I wonder about that is like, okay, well, if you wanted somebody to like put some tile on the floor, right? Well, what's the cost of that? Okay, something, right? Okay, if you want a new countertop, what's the cost of that? Something, uh, right? And then if suddenly, though, if you ask somebody to do all those things in one job, which you would think like, oh, yeah, economies of scale, they're working in the same place. All of a sudden, it's 10 times the cost <laughs> <laughs> because it's a kitchen. It's a magical place where well, money just disappears. Really, it has to but, do with uh, whether or not you're touching cabinets because cabinets are like from a – just take so much time. They take so much yeah. time. But my, but my, yeah, my dream for the kitchen is to basically do like – Deep black tiles, okay. White cabinet, black countertop, oh, interesting. steel appliances, and keep the walls teal, okay. Mm-hmm. So you get like this, like black, white, black kind of like. I don't think I've bands. experienced a black floor. That sounds interesting. I want it because it's also the case that our, our the countertop that is in our kitchen is oh, it's has speckled. This, it's got like a speckled pattern on it, and you cannot see a damn thing. Like if you spill a bit of like salt or some pepper or some spice or some sauce or anything, I've lost spoons on your cat. I put a spoon yeah, down, yeah. and then it gets yeah. gone because it's like a it's and, in the camouflage zone. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a catch twenty two because you're like, well, that way I can be like, oh my, I don't really care if my countertop is dirty because I can't see it, right? Except like I do care <laughs> if it's dirty and I want to keep it clean. Well, yeah, it's like it's like I the difference between wearing like so so. So I got some uh, some house shoes and I ordered them in black first and I got them and I put them on the motor, put them on a single cat hair descended and landed on it. And it was like a visual beacon. Right. And I was like, okay, yeah, this, this can't work. So, yeah. <laughs> so I got like this, this gray one that has a texture with a little bit of like darker, darker and lighter gray. Right. Yep. So that like, you can still see cat hair on it, but it's not the same sort of of like draws your eye to it kind of yeah. a deal. And like, and that's supposed to be the goal of these things too. Right. Is that, is that, cause our, our counter is the same deal with like the speckled really, really visually noisy pattern. So that stuff gets lost there. And the idea I, I assume is that that way, if like, if there's a little bit of like a water, a bits of dust or, or something yeah. dust on there, that it's not just like Obviously. swinging your eyes onto it, you yeah. know, but, but well, it is true. You want I'm, that surface to be clean. So, yeah. I'm yeah. worried about that though. With like getting a black floor, you know, because then it's like, okay, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you're gonna see. You're gonna see dust everything. Whatever. But now we also have we also have the contrast problem because now we have a dog with orange hair and a dog with black hair, <laughs> and now like you can't win like, with one, anything now. Yeah, yeah, one dog. One dog <laughs> is like hanging out on the black couch and Gone. leaving orange, obviously orange hair on there, right? And another do- our black dog goes lays on this white bed, and suddenly now you can see black hairs all over the white bed. <laughs> and it's like shit. Yep. Uh, yeah. I mean, there, there was always a lot of dog hair everywhere on everything, but at least we couldn't see some of it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Now, mm-hmm. now we've got the contrast going on. So, uh, anyway, you guys, we'll get on to the next question. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Uh, next question comes from Alawaka Kamiya, nice. who says, "We haven't heard anything on Shenanicon 2021. Is that something that's still in the mix, or is it out? <laughs> you guys rock. Thank you. That's not happening." That's not yeah. happening. <laughs> uh, so we – Shenanicon was a really fun time mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. But we also – it took a lot of work and time and we kind of hit a point where we were like, we want to do – we want to put hit pause on this thing and think about doing it again if we had a point where, A, we can be sure that there would actually be like – it would be like a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. As in like, we want to, we want to get, we want to make a game kind of like look internally refocus 
and try to make a game or games or an IP that has such a huge following behind it that we could throw an event like a Shenanicon and have it be just like a much, much bigger thing. Right. Yeah. Cause part of the problem is if you, if you have a, an event that has like 30 to, f- to 50 people coming, then the economies of scale of organizing that event are very low, right? Like each person that you host at the event is very expensive to, to plan for and accommodate. Um, and so just kind of a point where like, it was just a really expensive and difficult thing to, to plan for the scale that it was. Um, and so, so we were going to be hitting pause on it anyway, but then like, I guess something, something happened it's in 2020. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of still going on, especially where, you know, in Missouri. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're just chilling. Uh, and if, if we decide to do it again, then, you know, we'll definitely be very uh, public about it and everybody will hear about it. Cause we, you know, we won't shut up about it at that point. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the, I think yeah, the trouble like, is no, always, no regrets from doing it. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, yeah, we, yeah, but there, yeah. There's got to be stuff to you know to do, right? And to mm-hmm. and to talk about. And there has to be a reason. Like, there has to be stuff, right? Especially because like people come from all over, and it's really expensive for people to take the time and do the traveling and and all of that. And so, uh, so having that event, like it always, there's so much pressure for it yeah. to feel like it it's worth it. We want everybody to know? have a good time, and, and yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to do. And then, and now you go. Now you kind of go like in the part where like we're an early dev on Crashlands Two, which isn't like officially announced in a very public way. There's no, there's no marketing materials out in the world, no art out in the world. You know, we don't know what platforms it's going to be on because we're still having all of those discussions. So there's nothing we can like say. We can't show it. We can't show it. Mm -hmm. And so, so like, what would you know? So like, so the next, now trying to plan the next Trinanicon would be like. We'd be in the middle of trying to keep dev going and keep all these like biz dev balls juggling and all this stuff, and then also trying to have an event where we're like, "But why though? <laughs> what is what are we? Yeah. What is this? What are we going to do?" Um, well, what I think is also kind of interesting about about this idea of like having a convention as a as a game studio <clears throat> is so much of of the content of those conventions is that sort of like either either ongoing stuff. So, for example, if you have a, a live service game that's like maybe like a PvP game or whatever, where it has a, an active player base that is just engaging with the game all the time, right? So if you think about even like Minecraft, right? Like they have their Minecon thingy. Um, it's a sandbox game. It's it's heavily modded, and the, de- the developer, uh, I guess, which is now Microsoft, like they didn't really have to do anything to keep the community involved. Because the community mm-hmm. makes themselves involved via modding and stuff like that, so uh, so they can they can have Minecon every year um, just in in perpetuity, and people will go and be pumped about it, right? But on the flip side, uh, one of the other big studios that does big conventions is is Blizzard with BlizzCon, right? And uh, their their last few BlizzCons have been kind of dicey because their pace of content release has slowed down. And also they were trying to change their, uh, their target markets to more mobile oriented stuff. And they've literally been like booed at their own convention. Like they, when they really, they uh, announced Diablo immortal because everybody at BlizzCon is a PC gamer because Blizzard games have been PC for so long. And they, and as soon as Diablo comes up, people are like, Oh my God, it's going to be Diablo four. Right. And then suddenly it's, Oh yeah, it's actually this, it's actually this mobile game that we're not even making. We're actually outsourcing the development of it to another company. Mm -hmm. 
who is famous for making like microtransaction riddle. Like, and it's just like the details just keep making it worse and worse to the point where this was the, the, the convention where, uh, when they opened up for questions after the announcement, a guy came up to the mic and he asked if this was an out of season April fool's joke. <laughs> yeah. Dead <laughs> like, the, too. Yeah. Yeah. And the Oof. response was just, just bad. Right. And so one of the difficulties with, um, with those kinds of like having a convention as a game studio is your existing fan base uh, is is there for like the content that you have released in the past and and looking forward to sort of like iterations of the same you know uh, and if if it's, if you're doing something that a takes a long time like let's say let's say they're working on Diablo four or maybe they have been working on it for five years but they still don't have anything to show yet right well they're not going to want to talk about it. At BlizzCon, so they got to sit on it and keep and keep quiet, right? Which means that part of the convention kind of sucks, right? It was just tricky because you uh, you want to give people you want to give people what they want is basically what it comes down to. But the reality of like running a studio is that you can't give people what they want at specific times that are also like extremely logistically uh, calculated. I think it's when a, it comes yeah, to in a way, it's a lot like uh, making a you know like an E three build, yeah. right? Where yep. where you have to. All of a sudden, like get everybody on board to make a thing specifically for that purpose and divert all of the resources and attention away from the actual product itself to do that and create that thing to, you know, to convey this experience to people. Um, and, uh, and so, so, and that's, and that's how you deliver on a timeline like that, right? Uh, to, and to a specific audience, because that audience is not the same as the audience they're literally selling the game to. It's a different mm-hmm. purpose because they're trying to sell. Uh, the spectacle of a of an event, which is just not the same, and so yeah, so, so doing that with in the middle of development on a timeline, uh, it's just yeah, it, it's it's extremely costly. It's like extremely costly, and and the end result is just not going to be what everybody wants, you know. Mm-hmm. It can't yeah, be. and I, and I think you know a convention like that can do well if if like because they have you know they have uh, like StarCraft, Diablo, Warcraft, and Overwatch as kind of like their four main you know IPs. Um, and so if like, if any given year they held, they held their convention and they had like, uh, some big news about, you know, two out of the four, right. Then like, that's, that's pretty good. Right. But like Adam was noting, that does require an incredible amount of coordination and also planning to make sure that those projects are at a state that can be shown and that they work properly. It impacts dev. And I think for- It impacts development a lot. Yeah. And the reality for us is completely different because like we don't just show up at the convention because we're also running the convention and planning the convention and assisting with logistics of it. Right. So so Dev has a team and and outsources a bunch of stuff too, right? Yeah. So for us actually like Dev sort of like pauses while we are planning the convention, but also development has to be built around the convention so that we have stuff to show at the convention, right? So it's like a- it was just, it's, it's, it's pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was very tricky to do as, as fun, as much fun as it was. Like I honestly doing the, I did the, uh, basically the sort of shout casting for our level head tournament in person at the, the last, uh, Shenanicon, which was so fun. And like, that was just, oh, convention was a blast. You a know, wonderful it's just that, yeah, time, it's yeah. just that the like two to three weeks of work in advance of it is just so it's much. Just a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so much, uh, so much time. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we got time for one last question. So this question comes from Unanimously, who says, which I guess is when like it's the, everyone it's like agrees on something except for maybe like a person, a, one mm-hmm. or two people, mm-hmm. uh, who says, 
A fairly highly anticipated indie game, Axiom Verge 2, did a surprise release the other day. That seems like more of a risk to me, but I don't know. Maybe if you're feeling cute after being bankrolled by a sugar daddy corp, it makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys think of surprise releases? Uh, So I think, did they release on Epic? Is that it? They did, yeah. I I looked up a little bit. Uh, so that must be the, the Sugar Daddy Corp ref- reference there. Yeah, yeah so they're um, Epic exclusive, but also on Switch and then uh, I think something else. Or they're coming to PlayStation soon or something like that. Um, so yeah, I think my my two cents on, we refer to it as Beyonce because Beyonce dropped, I think it was the Lemonade album in like 2016 or 17 or something just out of – just out of nowhere. Yeah, Beyonce as a verb is is to uh, yeah to release a product with no mm-hmm. no advanced fanfare or warning. Just like yeah. just drop it. The reason why it's important to use Beyonce as the term here is because because are you Beyonce? Beyonce? Exactly. Yeah. Are you Beyonce? <laughs> what yeah. level are you at? <laughs> what level are you at? Because like she could do that. Sure, hundred percent. But can, can you? Really? Well, and, she, and she, her doing that is itself such a big news item because she can't leave her house without creating news. You know, it's not true. It's not yeah. possible. So, so the so doing something like that is its is its own its mm-hmm. own deal, right? Yeah, and actually, in her case, it's it's she actually yeah she has the opposite problem, which is everybody is way too interested in everything that she's <laughs> doing. Yes. Yeah, and 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 if she were to to like. Periodically make a series of announcements, you know, about her upcoming album. Then actually, that removes the intrigue of like, what is she up to? What's she doing? Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're like, because it's Ukraine because people are so hungry, yep. so they're so hungry for information that by not saying anything about the album, she increases anticipation about it. Well, you, like, you, when's her, you create when's her next album coming? It's got to be coming yeah. at some point. Yeah, because <laughs> you create a moment, right? That people can't. That people can can share and talk about. It. So it's it's a really good strategy if if you believe. Uh, well, I guess if if there's two conditions. One is if you believe that, that there's sufficient hype and interest around the game such that you suddenly releasing it will will in particular cause a lot of word of mouth to happen because of the sudden release. Because essentially, it's a big deal that it was released. Yeah, yeah. and what's just, exciting just, about yeah. that is like is that gives people. Uh, your fans and players the opportunity to be the person who tells someone else that it's available, which is awesome, right? So being the person who's like, oh shit, you guys, Beyonce's album just dropped. Like you get to be that person, right? Which is amazing and super fun. Like as far yeah. as like creating a moment for your fans is really fun. Um, mm-hmm. Or if it's the case that you aren't actually particularly concerned about, about like creating the sort of roll up fervor that typically is a company with video games. Typically in video games, the, the marketing wisdom is you're supposed to like, people are supposed to know the launch date like you know, three, six months in advance. And then like there's sort of little new tidbits and stuff that just keep coming out to kind of supposedly build this this hype fire, right? Yeah. Uh, Nobody knows and there's counterexamples for everything. The, the problem exactly. is you can't you can't do these as experiments because you'll, you, you just spent, like if you're a AAA studio, you just spent $300 million making a game, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to experiment on 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 the marketing and Ways launch techniques, marketing. or are you going to just do it the way you always have? And because at least that didn't obviously do anything bad, right? Yes, and of course that's what you're going to do. And every yeah. game's unique, so what what works for one game? I mean, if yep. like, Cyberpunk did it, so I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, okay, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. is, is that a good move? I don't know. Yep. It's, Nobody I think- knows. I think when it comes to to because this is where I think where the funny piece of it comes with the question, which is the sugar daddy thing. Because the thing is, if you're not necessarily concerned about having to uh, actually generate so much 
so much hype, then you actually, you can do more experimental stuff for one. As in like, you don't, you don't have to do things by the book in a way that desperately tries to maximize the impact on day one based on supposedly known or best practices, right? You could do something like just try launching it and see if that works because you do already have guaranteed funding. So as much as it's true, they're like, yeah, of course, like they're getting paid by, uh, by Epic for the exclusivity. You have to recognize what that actually allows the devs to do, which is like, which is either experiment in terms of the marketing stuff. Uh, and that can, that can look at a billion different ways. I'm not saying that this was an experiment on purpose. This could have also just been like, we already got money, so it's fine. Um, however, I doubt that in terms of if they're dealing with platform partners and stuff, I doubt that just being like, yeah, we're just going like, to punt it out on a Thursday. It was, was a conversation. It was probably well, but, more but also, But also think about this. If this game is launching as an Epic exclusive, if they announced that in advance, yes, that has like that has just as much potential to create they, bad. They did though. The thing is, like, they, so I think in February they announced that it was going to be an Epic exclusive, ah. the news article regime, which of course did generate some generate some some, some negative sass. feedback. And the devs yeah. were like, literally, the guy was like, Axiom Verge originally was my was a, like a side project that I did for fun. And then it became my job and I have a family. So, you know, what that means, which is like, I would like to know that I'm not going to die after this thing comes out because it didn't make any money. So signing the deal with Epic just made a lot so of So yeah, you're going to take the deal. Yeah, yeah of course. And, and and anybody can download the Epic launcher and buy it and play it. Yeah, it's fine. Like, it's fine. It's just fine. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I, my, my feeling on Beyonce drops is that you have to, it, you can only do it from a position of strength like a true position of strength and believe that something good is going to happen from it. I think otherwise you are uh, probably too confident. And I think that goes for almost every single person who does it. Except <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you are, if you are just releasing a game, uh, then you have to understand like who you're releasing it to. Right. And if, if you know, you know that there is a massive crowd of people just with their outstretched hands, just waiting for you to plop this game into their hand, right? Then like, hell yeah, mm-hmm. just just release it. Who cares, right? But if there's even like a, a question about whether there are people anticipating this game, then then they're they're probably not. They're probably yeah. not anticipating <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, they've got a lot of stuff going on in their lives, right? And so like, there because you also have to think about the dis- disruption potential of this. Which is, uh, which is, if you have a a game that you want people to really like, sink their teeth into, and spend a lot of time with, and and whatnot, um, then sometimes people need to know, like, do I need to take a day off? Do I need to have a weekend? Do I need or to plan yeah, just to thing, plan right? your weekend with it? Yeah, yeah. So, like, imagine if suddenly Half Life Three came out, just suddenly, right? Mm-hmm. Next Tuesday, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> Uh, there would be a, sort of a, the responses would be, "Oh my God, Half Life Three came out." Uh, ever, it, it's all anybody would would be able to talk about. But also, like you personally would want to get in on this potentially if you, you know if you're part of that. Like, I want you know Half Life Three needs to exist hype train. Uh, 
And you would think like, maybe I should take tomorrow off of work, work, right? So I could just like, just play this damn thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be super I mean, yeah. disruptive. I mean, the know? problem is that all these can go anyway though, right? Because like, yeah. If, if they launch it on a Tuesday and now like you can't get it and it's all everybody's talking about, it's all anybody can talk about. So now you're, you're consuming like, all this content about it. Yeah. You're just right? like waiting until the weekend before you can, you know, or your next day off mm-hmm. or whatever, or you're calling in sick the next day, you know, like whatever. But like, and that in itself is not going to generate all that. Cause it, so, cause what all this comes down to is a question of how can you get visibility on your game? Right. Yes. That's what, that's what, that's the whole thing. That's what marketing, that's what launches. It's, it's all about how do you get eyeballs on your thing and, and the right eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And and at meaning the people who would want it, and how do you get the visibility to them at the right time, so that and it all depends on who the who the people are, right? Because to like the thing about Beyonce, right? A Beyonce fan is a person who thinks about Beyonce like a kind of a large amount of their of their life, right? Mm-hmm. They listen to her music. It's always like it's always like they're constantly being reminded of this fandom that they're- they participate in. Yeah, their eyeballs are already pointed at the They're next already album, there. even when it doesn't exist. They're pointed yeah. at this empty space where that next album They're is not, supposed to be. Yeah, and they're not going to forget <laughs> that Beyonce exists. That's not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. If you're Half-Life 3, same deal, right? Like the, the, the fervor for that franchise is so deep and it's lasted for, what, 20, 25 years or whatever? Now, co- 2004 years. was Half-Life 2. So like yeah, we're right. coming up on the 20-year yeah. mark. So, like, so, th- so this, this has been there for so long that like – and when people still today, like, when people ask me what my favorite game is, like it's – it's like it's still always going to be Half-Life 2 because that was so formative, you know, when it came out. And uh, and so it's the same deal. Like they could drop that game and it would be it would be it would be nothing, right? But for most games, though, in particular indie games because they're smaller, uh, it's the stuff that people play. Like the, the the audience for them isn't that big anyway. But the people who play indie games tend to play a lot of them. Indie games usually don't consume a whole person's life for years at a, on a stretch, you know. And and as a consequence, like your game comes into visibility at launch and then kind of goes out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like if, if it's a good game and people really like it, there will be a fandom there who's still thinking about it, still plays every once in a while, still waiting for the next title to come out. But it's not that big of a pool who's like just all, where you're already visible. And so launch and post-launch success, because like there's no reason why launch has to be where all your success is, right? That's not – there's not like a fact of the universe where it's like launch, but it's because that's when you get eyeballs because that's where all the – that's the, when the, your game is news, actually. That's why it's yeah. That's when, yeah. It, and that's also how all the storefronts work because the storefronts feature things when they come out, and they algorithmically surface things with a decay function that mm-hmm. makes it harder and harder to get visibility the longer the game has been out, right? And so that's the reason that everything is about the launch day. Um, it's not something magic, right? About that. So the question is always for your game, for your audience, for where you're putting it, for the people who it's for. Who are those people? Are they already waiting? Where are they? And when you're going to launch it, what kind of participation do you get from the platforms? So it's it's always, it's just always about visibility. And so to, to Sam and Seth's point, if you can get, if you just have that visibility already, you can just launch it. But I think there's, there's another, and like, and and you guys got into this a little bit, but I think there is that more cynical side of it, which is not only if you can do that, then, you know, you can. But also maybe you should, because if you already have a large fandom and they're already waiting for it, there's like a, a fandom that is large just has large toxic components, right? That's you can look it's at it. It's, it's got large everything. It's got large everything. Right? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. and and there's a subset of people who will start fomenting, you know, uh, 
hypotheses about what this all means. Like you give them the tiniest little drop of something, a little early piece of news, right? And now all of a sudden you turn you turn around and you look six months later, and there's like a there's like this intense rabid fan base who, if you do not deliver that thing that they believe that you promised them, you know, like mm-hmm. off is off goes your head, right? I and think so, the equivalent in music is like you you slightly change the the sound or the vibe, right, of the music you make on the next album. The equivalent in games yeah. is you change the system in like a sequel where you change like the control input or something like that. Mm-hmm. And people can before a game comes out will lose their shit getting really mad yeah, about thinking it. about how you've ruined it when they can't experience it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they'll, they'll just, want, yeah. And yeah. they'll just, yeah. they'll just be fermenting these ideas. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, so with a really intense fandom, there's actually more to lose, I think, than there is to gain be, yeah. by having early announcements that actually provide information because the more information they provide, because it can never be experiential until somebody well, gets the game in their hand. Honestly, Diablo Immortal. Like, yeah. So, so Fallout did this where suddenly they were and this like, is why hey, everybody, yeah, mm-hmm. they were like, hey, everybody, hey, Fallout 4 is coming. And also, just literally right now, just open, just open up your phone and you can get a new, like, dope ass Fallout mobile game that's now available, right? Yep. So there was no, there was not a single moment where people could in advance speculate about how. Bethesda is like ruining everything about Fallout. And how terrible and this game a mobile is studio. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because they were just already playing the game and it was fun, right? They could just go play um, it. Yeah. Yeah. But, but also they paired it with an announcement that does serve their core fan base in the domains that they're already in, right? And so, like, so if, for example, Diablo Immortal had just been handled that way, where they just, instead of, because they, they teased it, like they teased yeah, a, a mobile the wrong game. Audience, yeah. The wrong yeah. And, yeah. And so if instead they were like, hey, everybody, we're working on Diablo 4, but in the meantime, how would you feel about having Check Diablo shit in your pocket? Yeah. Well, you, you've you got it now because it's already available. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go get it. Yeah, that would have only been something people were excited about, right? But but Because but, then people think about it as like, oh, this is a fun thing to tide me over with get my Diablo fix until Diablo 4. Instead, now it's like, well, now I'm waiting for this thing and waiting for the other thing. <laughs> yeah, just waiting for all of uh, these things. Yeah, I was but waiting it, for it depends, the, yeah. it depends on the audience, right? Because it's not inherently bad to announce a mobile title, right? That doesn't make any sense. Yep. It's, yeah. it's announcing a mobile title to a PC-focused audience who's waiting for a new PC game, right? With no other news. <laughs> With no other news. Like, <laughs> like that That doesn't work. That was rough. That Yeah, that was not a good, good plan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so because it, it, and that's the nuance with all of this, right? There's not like, oh, here's how you launch a game. The question is, what it's is all, your game? A game? Who is it for? Who would be who could be interested? Where can you get visibility? And then what is your strategy now to capture that visibility? And if you're an indie, that usually is going to mean as much information as you can as early as possible, so that yeah. you're rolling the dice over and over again, just over and over, rolling the dice, rolling the dice, right? Trying to find people who are interested enough that you're just building. You're building visibility and you're building that slowly over time with the added little dash of hope that like you catch somebody's attention who can make a really big difference because you can't as an, as an indie, especially an unknown one, you can't just go launch a game. You can't just go put it live on steam, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, there's no system in place that will make it so that that gives you a success unless your game is so incredibly like interesting and it's not. I'm just going to be honest. It's not. It's not. It is. <laughs> don't even. Just don't even fucking go there. Because like, yeah, this, yeah, this is my right. problem. Yeah, you shouldn't the, do it. Yes, that's true. Yeah, you get so close to it and you're like, oh my God, like maybe I'm just dreaming of money. Like we're dreaming of all these players. And like its context is so 
important for the moment of your launch that even if even if you have the game that is just like oh my god so slick and amazing or whatever it just doesn't matter if you just yeah. if you there's not already just put it out there yeah. yeah and so yeah i i would uh well I mean, actually this is a good point too because like yeah, yeah. To, to to that point i see i guess historically we've seen a lot of indies um who are kind of on the hobbyist side but like trying to get into it like working on a game, getting it close to a point where they feel like, oh, maybe I could go early access with this. Maybe I could go ahead and launch it to the point where they just start getting tired of it not being launched. And and then they have this idea that, okay, well, if I just get it out now, then I can keep on adding to it later once there are players there, once I'm you know pulling in some money for it and whatever. And the reality is that's not what's going to happen. You're not You're going to put it out now and then nobody's going to buy it because the problem wasn't it not being available to buy. The problem is... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's like uh, writing the first, you know, uh, two thirds of your novel, you know, uh, and being like, well, I mean, I'll just, I'll release this, you know, and I'll see if I'll, there's uh, interest. I'll use that I'll, to finish it. Yeah, I'll yeah. see if there's interest and I'll update the ebook and get those last few chapters. <laughs> it's like, that's not, not going no, to get a good no. response there. No. No. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the time we have. For this week, uh, very good questions. So thank you for asking. Uh, and of course, uh, go to podcast.beesguys.net. Ask more questions, and we'll answer them. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Costa, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can go to podcast.beesguys.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.